Welcome back to The Helping Hand. Today I'm here with my gorgeous mum, Sandra. My mum is a sister, a daughter, a friend, a wife, and a gorgeous person overall. Today in what we're going to be discussing is kind of life, how mum's career was set up, how she went from, from being a nurse to being an entrepreneur, friendships, life going from Tipperary Town to the big smoke up here, um, so I'm going to let mum, uh, as I know, and that's probably what I'm going to call her for the whole interview, but for others, this is Sandra Walsh, uh, designer of Canopy Sleeves, The Allergy Clinic, Canopy Healthcare, had two boutiques, was a nurse, was also a singer and a fantastic mother. So welcome Sandra, welcome mum. Thank you very much Vicky. Right. Very nice to see you all here. So do you want to start off by telling telling us about, you know, being one of six children, living in Tipperary, what it was like back then, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Well, yes, I grew up in Tipperary Town and I'm one of five girls and we have one brother. And I was the fifth child and I, the fourth girl down. So I was very fortunate to have wonderful parents. My father, Dick Lord Merson, who is dead, and my mother is fantastically uh, well alive and probably an inspiration to all of us, actually. She's fantastic. Um, growing up in Tipperary Town, so I was born in 1965, so obviously I'm 55. And, um, it was a fantastic town to have grown up in. We were business people, so my parents owned the fur shop and my father owned Irish lamb furs. Um, both of my parents had very interestingly, both lived in Dublin. My father had gone to college in Dublin, had done medicine, but didn't like it and didn't actually qualify. And then my mother had trained uh, in Brown Thomas in retail. And um, she was absolutely fantastic at it. And my father was fantastic. My father was an academic, really, and then ended up in farming and then in business. And But he brought massive uh, educational energy to our house and that my mother was a serious personality. There was always great fun in the house. It was, um, so we lived actually beside the church. So <laughs> the bells tolled and that was our um, little uh, alarm clock to get up. And um, it was, the church was very much part of our lives. The priests were very much part of our lives in a lovely way, in a lovely country town. We played sports. My parents did the absolute, they were fantastic to us. There was nothing within reason that we couldn't have. We played, as I said, we played tennis, Noel played rugby, um, Caroline did athletics, Yvonne represented Munster in tennis, uh, Adrian, we were all Geraldine, we were all tennis players and sport was huge, huge for us. So we went to school locally and then um, in the latter part of our education, we all went to boarding school. So my brother went to Rockwell, which was the third generation of Corcoran's going to Rockwell. Okay. And we were the third generation of um, Corcoran ladies going to Brough, which was FCJ okay. uh, in County Limerick. So, sorry, just um, there you said that you had a, a huge presence living beside the church. Yeah. Would you have said, um, even now, have you maintained that religious belief? Would you believe in God or would it be more so that there's a presence there? Or how did that kind of work out in your life from then growing up with this 
tonight living beside a church but might not be as present in that yeah, church yeah well it's very real obviously so it's kind of funny because um religion was well it was the house of god and actually we made we, we socialized from the church i know it sounds ridiculous but I, I had a lovely boyfriend that and his mother was mad into the church as was mine and uh, so actually we used to meet sometimes after devotion so it was a great excuse also from a social point of view and you did mention earlier that I was a singer, so I loved to sing in the church. So, you know, we used to do benediction and Tanta Margo and, you know, all of that. I loved all that. I loved being part of the church. I was never, well, there was no altar girls, but um, I was never involved in the church per se, you know, um, giving out communions or anything like that. But the priests were very much part of our lives. So we had a fantastic friendship and it was all innocent, but lovely, but supported. Uh, the, the innocence of it, of it all, but like even, you know, now with all the stories that are going around mm. about the priests and everything, um, and in all the different generations of, mm. would that change your opinion on having a brother that was in a family that were so involved in going to the church? Mm -hmm. For him to For, become a priest? Well, to become a priest and to be friendly with a priest. Yeah. Uh, well, no, it wouldn't because actually we have a really good friend. He christened you, he married us, Father Paul Callan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so he's still very much in our lives. Yeah. Uh, he's fabulous. And you're right, we're not as uh, practicing. But actually, I, I, I think, seriously, as a family, I think we have a great family religion. I know mm -hmm. Barry has, is quite religious, and obviously with, the, with our business, with his business, which is Joe Walsh Doors, that's the, the Lord's Travel in yeah, Rome, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, so religion is very much part. I'm very comfortable with priests, and I think actually it was very interesting recently, one of my friend's mothers died, and we went to the um, funeral mass it was in Fox Rock and the priest he gave the most magnificent uh, funeral mass but he spoke to the grandchildren at the mass and said mind your mothers today because your mothers have lost their mother. Mm -hmm. Now, I was really touched by that. And actually, we were meeting Father Paul mm -hmm. that night. Do you remember for Granda Joe's Mass? Yeah. And I spoke to Paul about that. I okay. said, the priest's passion was fabulous. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was fabulous. So yeah, religion would be very much part. I, I do pray. I do turn to religion. I, I do ask God to help me okay. and to help us as a family. And okay. in everything we do. That, that's okay. lovely. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get on to more interest. Well, sorry, that is very interesting. But let's go on to kind of more, you know, go from kind of Alexandra Corcoran to Sandra Corcoran to Sandra Corcoran Walsh to Sandra Walsh. Okay. Yeah. So, and what I mean by that is go like so you you went you went to broth. Go from kind of sixth year you're leaving source and. I will be asking questions about the, the different careers that you went through mm. in, in different moments through this. Mm. But if you could just give a kind of an overview on your timeline mm. from like, sixth year. From sixth year is Alexander Corcoran mm. to Sandra Walsh. Yeah, but first of all, it's hilarious about the Alexander Corcoran because that is my name, Alexandra. And I always wanted to be called Alexandra, but of course I wasn't ever called Alexandra except when I was in serious trouble and if it was about births, marriages and deaths. But um, so yeah, I left school and actually came to work in Vincent's to train as a nurse. 
um, in Vincent's and we used to describe that there was uh, a bus up from uh, Brough up to St Vincent's because there was a, a huge affiliation between Vincent's and FCJ which was Laurel Hill, Brough and Wexford. So I came up to Dublin in 1980, actually no I came to Dublin in 1983 because I had to repeat my leaving cert because I didn't do well in my first leaving cert and that, Vicky has never known that actually yes. because I'm always telling her I was a genius but anyway. Oh, here. Yeah, exactly. But so I had to repeat my leaving cert to get into nursing uh, because I had done no work at all in um, my in sixth year. So I repeated leaving cert into Brary Town, went back to Brary to repeat my leaving cert and then got into Vincent's, but it was for the following year. Mm. So I had a year to kill. So I came up working. It was actually very funny because I came up working as a nanny. Uh, in a lovely house in Rathgar and uh, I only lasted 10 days because although I love children I can't stand looking after children which is testament to you guys because I didn't stay at home with ye either when you were children you know I, I actually always worked mm. and always had great help at home but so I would spend my life working really to pay for help but that's what me that's what we're living was mm -hmm. So anyway, I went to work in Vincent's. I went to do my training in Vincent's, which was 1984. So I had done a year a year in Dublin working as a nanny starting off lasted 10 days and then I went to work as um, a nurse's aide actually in the hospice in Harris Cross yeah. and there it was kind of funny because I always loved older people and still do love older people and I befriended this gorgeous woman and of course she was dying she was in the hospice and she was mad about makeup and I promised her that when, and when she died because she was going to die that I would make her up now, I know that sounds morbid, but I put her lipstick on and she was absolutely Georgina, that was her name, and she was absolutely the personification of what she was as she was alive. I loved that. So I really knew that I really wanted to be a nurse, not from a death point of view, but for the dignity of the patient. Okay, we'll go back to the kind of why you went into each thing, but just go through, you know, after nursing. Yes, so after nursing then, so I qualified in 87 yeah. and I continued working in uh, nursing. I went to St. James's Hospital, did theatre nursing. Then I went off to Australia. Uh, I had met my husband, Barry, in the meantime, who loved because I was Vincent's nurse and I kind of thought we were going to get married, you know, kind of very early anyway. So I said to Barry, oh, I said, um, I think, you know, I think I might go to Australia, I said, because a few of my friends were going off to Australia. And he said, I think that's a fabulous idea. I nearly died. So I thought he was going to put a ring on my finger there and then. He didn't. So I went off to Australia. Actually, if I tell you the truth, he rang me because I told you he's a travel agent with the price of the flight for the, the next day, what, what the price of a flight to Australia. And in my recollection, I'm fairly positive it was something like £1,300 to go to Australia in 1980. Oh, that'd be nice. Oh, my God, Amari. Well, of course, it's, it's so cheap to go to Australia now. But £1,300, it probably would be about five or, five or 6000 Actually, probably more to go to Australia. Yeah, in relative terms. Anyway, so basically between the two, I saved the £1,300 to go off with three of my friends to Australia, Eileen Kelly being one of them, and Georgina and Maura. And we went off to Australia. Oh, my God, it was absolutely fantastic because, of course, we were you know, really coveted and they loved to see the Irish nurses coming over because mm -hmm. we got a fantastic training. Yeah. 
So after Australia, so I actually still stayed going out with Barry while I was in Australia. He was very dedicated. So he used to send me the uh, tapes. Now, I never kept those tapes. Oh, or maybe true. I did. You know, they might even be upstairs. But I don't think I did. But, you know, so it was all about because he had moved to Belfast at the time during that year because he didn't want to be in Dublin when I wasn't here. And, yeah, I know it was really very funny, even though he lived at home. So anyway, after the year, I only went for six months because I stayed a year. And um, can I boldly tell the story of I said to Barry that I wasn't going to be, you know, I, I was probably going to meet somebody over there, but then I'd definitely come back and marry him. Anyway, the morning of my wedding, my parents were absolutely shitless that I was going to stay in Australia. And you see, there was no internet. There was only letters and we phoned once a week if they were lucky. And my father used to say to me, now, Sandra, you are coming home aren't you so the morning so anyway fast forward I ended up getting engaged to Barry Dada and we were ended up getting married in 1991 the morning of my wedding Robert who was the he was a young doctor actually in Australia and Robert rang me from Australia my father picks up the phone hello Tipperary 51477 who Robert Robert from Australia, Sandra's getting married to Barry today. I now, Dick, he says, I'm ringing to wish her well. Ah, that's <laughs> like lovely. I never told you that story. Yeah, no. So, um, yeah. So, in the meantime, anyway, so we got married and we were living in the lodge in, in Barry's home place, which was very nice and loved it and the whole lot. Barry had never paid a bill in his life. I had always paid bills um, because I had lived with four girls and they were in Trinity and one, Louise, was a nurse in the Meath. And um, so I had all my Vincent's friends, but I never wanted to live with them, which was very interesting. So I never wanted to live with who I worked with. Isn't that kind of really interesting? Because most of the girls yeah, all moved out into yeah, yeah. a huge crew. I was never interested in that. Uh, I'm not a morning girl, and I uh, would have found it difficult to be jovial in the morning. And so, like, they used to kind of all stand back when I was coming, and they go, Ooh, have a look at what form I was in today. Because we used to start duty at seven. Oh, my God, I hate it. I hated that side of it, but I loved the patients, and I loved the nursing. Um, I made fabulous friends there. Absolutely fabulous friends. And I had fabulous friends in Tipperary also. We're still on timeline of careers. Oh, We're going oh back careers, yes. So, so, yeah, so I qualified as a nurse and then I went to work actually, very interestingly, in a pharmaceutical company. And I trained as, as the first asthma nurse with this pharmaceutical company, which was AstraZeneca. I absolutely loved that. But it was kind of uh, transitional. So although I was nursing, I was going from five hospitals. So I looked after five clinics, okay. which I loved. Okay. And again, I loved all the education with the, with the children. It was paediatric asthma I was doing at the time. Then I decided actually in 1998 that I would open. I always wanted to open a boutique because my mother had the first shop in Tipperary. And yeah. did I tell you I sold my first fur coat to Richard Burton? Well, you don't tell me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you now. So when I was 13, we used to go down and help mommy in the shop. And so we had just decided one Saturday to have our first Saturday with open during the lunchtime because all the shops closed. So I relieved my mother. And my aunt Nelma, she was there to kind of supervise, but I was supposed to be on duty and I was on duty. And so this gorgeous looking man came in. Now we had been invited up to the Glen of Aherlow to meet him on Thursday night because Daddy's first cousin was 
the film director, Tom Hayes. So he was making a movie called Tristram and Isalda. And Richard Burton was uh, Tristram and Kate Mulgrew was Isalda. So she's in Ryan's Daughter and she's also in um, the Orange is the New Black. Who is she not? Kate, oh, I don't know, but she's, she's the principal in it. So the, she's about 62 or 3 now. So anyway, she was the principal in the, in the you see her in Orange is the New Black. And um, so we had been invited up to meet them. So we did that. But anyway, he came in to the first shop to buy Kate, his, um, prince, his co-principal, a, a gift. And he was buying her a fur coat. So he bought her a beautiful coney, which is a rabbit, yeah. fur, full length fur coat from me. Now, at that time, imagine, there was no cameras in the shops. We didn't even tell anybody locally that Richard Burton had come into the shop. And I ne we never told anybody until Barbara Power was writing about me for Sam's in the um, Irish Independent. And she said to me, did you ever meet anybody famous? And I said, oh, well, you know, I sold my first fur coat to Richard Burton. And she said, what? I've been writing about you. She said, for 10 years. And I said... I never even thought to tell you. So it's very interesting because now in business, all young entrepreneurs would be taught to uh, get an elevator pitch. Mm. And an elevator pitch is that 30 second line that if you meet somebody of interest, what will make them remember you? Mm. So then it became my elevator pitch. Well, of course, you know, I sold my first coat. Yeah, yeah. First coat to Richard Burton. We did nothing about it. Actually, Kate Mulgrew, I'd love her to um, tell me what it was like for a coat I picked out for her. Interesting, wouldn't it? Okay, so... Then, yeah, that's fine. So, so I opened Sands. Right. Yeah, so I always wanted to open a boutique. My mother wanted to be qualified. She wanted all of us qualified, and we all did qualify at something. So we all have a profession in, in the family so that we could fall back on it. Because that was a real country thing. Mm -hmm. It probably was an educated country thing, but an educated um, urban thing also. Have a qualification that you could fall back on. But I always wanted to open a boutique. So I opened Sam's in 1998. So I left Astor Pharmaceuticals to open Sam's in 1998. Uh, Alex was three, uh, Alex was um, five and you were three. And I had Sandra living in with us and it was fantastic. So I could do that, but it was local. So I could see ye passing from the local school and you know, I, I loved that and I'd stand out at the door, but in fairness, if I was busy, I never stood out at the door, didn't care that they were passing. I loved the customers. Going to rob your infrareds. Absolutely, infrareds, it was brilliant. In the, in the, and so they robbed me mostly of all the cash that was in the in the till. And so Sam's was, it was boutiques, it was really special boutiques, but it was very middle of the road to upper. And it was affordable for that lovely occasion without it being a wedding occasion. Mm. I always kind of like different stuff. And um, and then I, I loved some, my demographic in, in the shop was you could be 24 or 75, it didn't right. matter. And again, I, range it was the range, yeah, yeah, it was lovely. I loved it and it was really, really successful. It was successful from the day it opened. And then I moved down to Ranala and I bought, uh, I bought the, um, the lease originally, and I had a wonderful landlady, Elaine, who I loved, and she, I was nearly like a daughter to her. And I always said to her, when the property came up for sale, would she give me first dibs on it? And in fairness to her, she did. And unfortunately, that was in 2006, when the recession, the worldwide recession was starting, and I had paid a lot of money for this 
massive building which had four apartments and two two shops and development plot at the back and of course that's what broke me in the end and I kept going with it uh, I had all this fantastic support from Barry from my family and from you kids actually which was fabulous I kept going and I probably kept going couple of years too long and unfortunately I should never have bought the premises but you know what I still don't regret having bought it even though it caused Brooke, us yeah. it did cause us huge angst in the house didn't it and oh it was dreadful but um I got out of it and I had great support of but you say everybody. you say like it caused huge angst now this is from your side probably no this from from a young person who grew up with the, the, the words no never really came out of both your mouth no. and dad's mouth mm. so when you sit there and you got really nervous and you said it was very it was an angst it was an angst in the house when you brought it up but you know for alex and i the word no never came out of both of your mouth mm. so you know obviously recession times were a huge thing we were both in lovely schools had a great education mm. but and we both had lovely social lives as well. But when you say that, do you, does that just go straight down to the financial aspect? Yeah. Or does that go to the strain of a relationship after after that? Uh, well, it, you know, I mean, it, it's reverberated that it was it was financial. And it put it did put huge uh, um, pressure on us. But you, you say we never said no. We tried not to say no as best we could, but we, we, we weren't stupid either. I mean, you might have felt we were saying no, we might have skirted around things a little bit. But I was actually talking recently about how you can discipline yourself or get used to not being able to buy stuff or not having stuff. I didn't buy a tea towel for 10 years. I didn't buy a new tea towel for 10 years. I kept, I always bought, everything I always bought was good. And we just, I must have bought stuff in the sales that were suddenly up in the laundry room or in the linen press and I just brought them out. So I, I, I did cut a cloth to a measure. We did, um, uh, worked very hard and now Barry had a very good job. They had a very good business and it was a family business and they, very much cut a cloth to a measure. I had an extremely loyal clientele who were very sad to see Sam's going. I was very sad to see it going. Try I, my I called it my baby, mm. you know. But the mistakes I made. The mistakes I made was that I was probably too quick to pay everybody. Right. And I left nobody unpaid. Now, I'm not a bit sorry about that. Yeah. So I was always able to hold my head up high. And I was, and, and in turn, I got massive support yeah. from the fashion industry mm. because I left nobody stung. Mm. Nobody stung. Um, and I paid. It was a huge thing. You it know, was a huge thing. For, yeah. Well, for them and for you, and you know. Anyway, we're going to keep going with the timeline, yeah. so then you kind of changed and you went into yeah. canopy sleeves. Yeah, well then I designed canopy sleeves and I brought that to the market and of course that was fantastic. And that's where I'm talking about the support the I got. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. God. Bring it like, all kind of Pamela Scott's, Fran and Jane, uh, Choice Boutiques, Brown Thomas, Arnett's. They were incredible. Everyone, 
everybody uh, opened their arms, well now including the um, the female diaspora in Ireland because they all wanted them covered and suddenly they had canopy sleeves as a solution. But a very interesting thing that happened with that, and it was a gorgeous lady called Roz, who was the buyer in Brown Thomas, and she said to me, Sandra, she said, do you ever wonder how, um, you know, do you not wonder how quickly you got into Brown Thomas and to the likes of us, us big stores, you know, which is now Selfridges. And I said, well, not, not really, I said, you know, sure, I said, you need it. And she said to me, Sandra, most people would be decades trying to get into somewhere like this. But I said, you know, it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't get into the places. But very interestingly, since the dynamic in Selfridges and all that changed, and the the exhibition in these places changed and it became more minimalist and all that kind of thing the buyer had to become an extremely discerning buyer mm. and unless the stuff was flying off the shelves like that That's she it. couldn't give you the budget yeah. but i still keep trying I'll always keep trying because I always kept the relationships going. I mean, Roz is a beautiful little girl and, you know, I'd still say, oh, she started school yet. Even though Roz isn't even the buyer anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I had the relationship with her. Come but I think that's, you know, I think that's out of a, a thing that you're a very personable person and you, and you have a lot of empathy yes, with people. Yeah, and yeah. you, as you say, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Yeah. You're always very open to talking. Uh, you know, you... You're like I said to you the night, like your hobby is being with people. Yes, yeah. Um, not really as much playing sport, but on the entrepreneurial aspect. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, canopy obviously is still going on and yes. then you created canopy healthcare and yes. all that. Well, I was very fortunate, I had a go- I have a gorgeous friend Kathy, and Kathy said to me one day, If if you could ha- if you could change anything in business, what would you change? And I said what I would change is I would search for a partner to grow business with me. Why? Because it's a very lonely place being on your own. Every decision is your own. Every mistake is your own. And every success is your own. Therefore, you can't really share the successes because you can't be blowing about it and you've no one to wipe your tears. Would you say that... The recession in 2008 mentally kicked you in the head and it knocked your confidence for having businesses to go on in the future. Yeah, I would. Well, what I would say is that it it made me doubt my... Well, I'm still buying for the shop. Mm. It made me doubt my buying ability. It made me cower back a little bit from... Uh, introducing myself to someone who could have been a decision maker and it made me uh, it made me very vulnerable extremely vulnerable yeah it made me very vulnerable yeah yeah I tell you I I, I felt so vulnerable that um, I felt that I couldn't really talk about what was my next thought because as an entrepreneur you're always thinking Mm. you're always thinking of the next idea and I was I do. I nearly kind of felt now very interestingly, not with my friends, partners or husbands, because I always find men are very um, open to a chat about entrepreneurship and business and all that kind of thing. But I found uh, my my female friends. They were very supportive, but it was a little bit kind of oh my god, Maddie, what is Sandra going to come up with now? Mm. You know, or what's she talking about now? Can she just keep going on one trajectory? But when Kathy asked me that, 
she bore that in mind. So I always had a support, a support network, and I really believe that. <laughs> Would I regret that I spent so much money on my hair? Uh, no. I always have my hair done, and I always think from a woman's point of view, look, look the best you can. Actually, from a, a woman and a man, look the best you can. Because it makes you feel good. Yeah, well, it's presentation is key. It is. It's, Absolutely it's, key. It yeah. does make... And, you know, people laugh when I say that you just get your hair done all the time because now I've started to just... Yeah, well, it's funny. You, you feel do. good. And you feel fabulous. That stuff. Ch- changing off topic again, it, obviously, social media has just exploded in the exploded, last couple of years. Yeah. You're 55. Yeah. As I keep bringing up. Struggling. Yeah. With it. Are you? No, with the social media, yes. Oh, it's yeah. my age. Oh, no, I love my age. Okay. Yeah. And you look good first. Thanks very much. <laughs> But no, but with, with social media, obviously, you know, it is just going so quick and mm. everything is online, mm. absolutely everything. And, you know, you, you might start on Facebook and mm. then, you know, a couple of weeks and months later it goes on to Instagram mm. and then changes to Visco and it goes on and on and on. Oh, I didn't even hear, hear that. Huh? Yeah, anyway, so, you know, would you find it a bit of a threat? Social media? Yeah. No. Why? No. Actually, I think it's fabulous. Um, I think it's fabulous if you're able to, uh, not, I won't say that the word get addicted to it, but if you're able to put it into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I tell you what, I have a real, this is my absolute pet hate, and I spoke in the golf club about this the other night, just happened to meet somebody. I'm allergic to people saying, particularly my age, from, again, I'm saying from middle to late 40s up, oh, I don't do social media. I can't stand that mm. expression because what you're completely doing is aging. Now, you, you, well, your grandmother, but my mother-in-law is the most fantastic woman, and Margaret Walsh would say that age is only a number on a door. Mm. Well, she's absolutely right. It's only a number on a door. But when you categorize and you pigeonhole yourself, and you say, I don't do social media, yeah. you're crazy. Because it's not that you have to be on it. But you have to be in a conversation. I want to be able to be out with you guys. Yeah. I want to know what you're talking about. So I'm look. I'm dying to hear what Fisco is. But I want to know what you're talking about. I follow you. I think you're, I have to now. You're my daughter. But I think you're amazing with, with this. What you're doing. Do you know what's really amazing? The amount of people that are saying to me, "Oh my God, Sandra, this is unbelievable what Vicky's doing." And I'm saying, "What?" So I was in the clinic today, and Linda Shine, who works with us, said to me. I just followed Vicky and held her hand. She said, it's fantastic. And I said, what part do you think is fantastic? She said, it's talking about things, it's things that are out there. But she said, sure, I wouldn't have known anything about what Vicky, even though she knew what you'd gone through. Mm. But she didn't know anything about all the stuff. She heard you speaking about the young lady who was getting over her addiction yesterday. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's not good enough. Uh, not unless they completely decide mm. that they don't want to do anything about it. So it's nearly, like you said, it's, like, it's nearly like a more antisocial thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like, with that, obviously, relationships, as you've said, and you have a gorgeous relationship with Dad, and... Oh, it's not always that. No, no, I, we know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> get out of the bed, you're snoring like mad! <laughs> And he goes, what? Yeah, what? Yeah. I don't snore. Anyway, so with that, you know, in a, in a different world and different generation, t- times now has become so ab- 
by social media and social awareness. And people find it hard to even meet people. Mm. What would your opinion be on the likes of the Tinder, the Hinge, the different dating Platforms. websites? Yeah. Well, I think it's fabulous. Do you? Yeah. I think it's absolutely fabulous. Uh, yeah, I do, because, um, well, first of all, unless you want to be on your own, I think it's a nice idea to think that you can meet somebody. Mm. And well, in my day, you went to the pub with a fantastic social life in Tipperary, of course, and an incredible social life, the M1 here uh, in, in, in the Marion Inn in, in um, Marion Road from Vincent's. But that that kind of isn't there. It doesn't seem to be. Sorry, I'm saying that, and yet you met your boyfriend in the pub, didn't you? But uh, I I think I have no fear about going online. But do you think that it's? No, I don't, I don't need to or want to yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That works. Mm. But do you think that that's? Are you saying that for someone that's thirty and under, thirty and above? Yeah. Forty, fifty, sixty, who have might have lost a husband, yeah. lost a wife, lost a girlfriend, lost yeah. someone, or divorce, separation. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that it's a a range of ages, or do you think that it? You know, sorry, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you now, because I was shocked uh, initially when I heard that uh, Alex had met somebody online. I said, sure, what would you need to be online for? Mm. But it obviously isn't that easy to meet people. So he had met somebody online, and I was surprised. So, and, and he's, he's, what are you, 25? So he's 27, isn't he? So I, I didn't, I think no, 27 next month. Yeah, I think 27 next month. So I, I was initially, I didn't realise that young people went online. I thought it was definitely for older or definitely for uh, if you hadn't met somebody or if you um, were divorced or separated or whatever. I think it's fantastic. I, 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 I think it's, it's not specific to age. Mm. I mean, the old, my only hesitation is how do you know what's the right side for you? And I suppose that's only by trial and error. And then, of course, they talk about safety. But do you know what? Safety is all about... So I, I'm talking about safety and meeting somebody. Yeah, yeah. That's so, catfish yeah, approach. Yeah. yeah. You don't see everything that is... Yeah, you it. don't. But, you know, that's human nature. Mm -hmm. That That is human nature. Look, I, um, you could have... You could have met somebody a thousand or a hundred years ago, and if they, uh, I suppose, in this environment, is where they used to do it at the time. I'm sure if you went home in the back of his bike, I'm sure at that time he threw you into a ditch. The same thing is good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think safety is. You can, I think you can't do anything about safety, only be mindful of what you're comfortable mm -hmm. with. But I, th I think online dating, I think it's fabulous. I think you're cracked. If you want to meet somebody, that you don't try it. Okay. That's very, very interesting. But, and it's very lovely to hear um, a different generation talking about yeah. how open you feel. I was talking to my fabulous friend about it recently. I said, let's do the profile together. Let's do your profile together. Yeah. She'd love to meet somebody. Yeah. Anywho, next thing I wanted to ask you about was friendship. Yeah. So I think this is an, an unbelievable one. And why I think it's an unbelievable one is because you've gone from such an array of careers and mm. different worlds you know have you got your school friends yes i've won i've uh, sorry i've won from rough that i'm still really friendly with Anne marie okay and i have won from tipperary 
that's Tona, right. really friendly and Sabina. Um, and then, but my real friends, my long-term, now those girls are still with me, thanks be to God, uh, in my life, but Vincent's, my, my nursing, were my real friends. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's, yeah, eight, yeah. there's eight of us, and we're called the sheep. Yeah. So what one does, we all do. Yeah. And they are incredible. Incredible. Like, I mean, we were actually talking about this recently. We think we're 35 years friends. Uh, yeah. And we have, I won't say never a crossword, but really never a crossword. So with that, now this actually just sprung to my mind. With that, you have all got a partner. No. Or one. No, two. Two. No, yeah. two. Sorry. Yeah. And with that, was there ever a worry of, oh God, Barry won't get on with Jim and, yeah. you know, was there any ever that and, well, and the exclusion of... Yeah, if they don't. That, and yeah. also, there's eight of you. Eight. If you all want to have a dinner party, that's 16 of you. That's right. It's huge. Whether the two that aren't with someone ha bring with someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do yeah. you survive? Yeah, well, funny, well, I, I used to always use an expression, isn't it just lovely seeing the boys sitting there together and not a word between them? Now they crack up, the girls would be cracking up. We never did that thing, that oh. the boys had to be best friends. Right. Now, whether that was by choice or whether that was, that it just happened that way, now they're all very civil to each other, but we never had that pressure that, the eight couples went away together. We didn't. We've never done it. In actual fact, three of the couples do go away together to uh, Spain in the summer. Three of the girls are very friendly and we go to the same place in the summer. And one of them is without a partner. And yet the two men, so there could be five of us out one night, okay? But we never had the thing, there was never a jealousy. Mm. It's extraordinary. And one of the girls, her best friend since she was four, became a really good friend of mine, really, really good friend of mine, and that's Jackie. And she was Emer's best friend growing up, but yeah. Emer shared her with us. Oh, yeah. And it, it was extraordinary. And then, uh, you know, uh, Karen and Eileen were best friends in Vincent's, and then Eileen and I became best friends in Australia. Oh, yeah. So we never had a jealousy. It, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how it, how it is that we never had it, but no. And nor equally, I would say, which is so funny, because one of, one of the pals at the minute, uh, things haven't worked out for her, and she said to me recently, well, which sure, you know, I don't know, were you ever that mad about him? And I said, well, sure, were you ever that mad about marrying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, well, I never really thought of it like that. But sure, till I married him, not you. And she said, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I said, I'm not with that guy. Yeah. And to be able to say that to, yeah. to my friend, and she That's friendship. Say, it's incredible. Mm. It's incredible, you know? So, we, yeah, we're very fortunate. We've had, and I've met fantastic people. But I I would say, and, I, you know, most people say if you count on one hand. Now, I have to go into two hands because, really, I do have really good friends. And I have friends that I've lost over the years. And I had one particular friend that I lost over the years. And now we have rekindled our friendship. Lovely. And I missed her hugely. I missed her, and I know she missed me hugely, and it was 
but we worked through it. Mm. And we were apart for nearly nine years. Wow. Yeah. And it's come back and it's beautiful because it's in a very, not, I'm not going to use the word controlled, but I'm going to use the word uh, metamorphosed into a different relationship. Different stage, different time. Yeah. But one thing what I have learned through friendships is that they all go through things and if you can keep it or accept it for what it is, it's fabulous. Mm. If you can mind it, it doesn't respect have, nearly respect it. Respect it. Yeah. And the same within my 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 friendship and my marriage. Yeah. Because we've gone through absolute hell mm. and back, and then absolute joy. Yeah. So we've had a fantastic. I mean, Barry and I are thirty. He, he was actually telling me the other day we're thirty-eight years together. Yeah, and we met Joe. I met Jody the night I met Barry. I met Jody, oh. and that's he's Barry's best friend. And then he married Alison, and we're great friends. But again, through Barry and Jody's best friendship, they never made, never needed made for Alison and I yeah. be besties. Yeah. Do you know? Mm -hmm. And and as family friends, well, you know that we never did holidays together. Mm -hmm. The 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 two families. Yeah. But yet you have a fabulous relationship with Hugo, Stephen, and Harry. Yeah, yeah. And Alex has equally. Yeah. So it's very nice, isn't it? And I know I even see you meeting. You know, Jackie's and Jill's and Rena's and Emer's kids, and, and yeah. Karen's kids now and Eileen's. It's fabulous. Yeah. You know, it, I love. We love to see it. Um, before we quickly finish up, I just wanted to ask you. Um, this could be kind of a personal, well, it is a personal question, but it's a thrown around comment at the moment, and it's the stigmatizing of the mental health. Mm. Do you think? Your generation, and I'm talking about you in your opinion. Yes. Do you think it is a load of bullshit that everyone seems to have something now? Or are you more open to the idea after after kind of reading it and, and, and watching it over mm. the last kind of couple like couple of months? Because even initially when you had said to me when I said I'd start mm. the page, you were like, geez, Vicky. You don't always talk about the depressions and the mental health mm. issues. And now you're a little bit, I can even see you're mm. a little bit more open to it and you're talking about it in a different way. So, mm. like, how. Yeah, how's that transition? Yeah. Yeah, well, that you're absolutely right, I did, because that was my fear that you were going to be kind of tagged as, oh my God, she never stops talking about mental health. Until Alex came into the kitchen the other day and he said to one of his friends, Nikki, uh, yes, no, Vicky's doing this vlog on mental wellness. And it absolutely, for me, was the catalyst in giving me the permission to talk about mental wellness. But do you, but do you feel like, you know, if you're looking at nearly half the symptoms of mental wellness, and I'm not talking about mental health issues, I'm talking about mental wellness, like the minding your mind mm -hmm. and you know the things that make you happy and you know, the different endorphins and stuff would you think that a lot of people that you might know over let's say 40 would you say they might have a bad mental wellness um no i wouldn't actually okay. it, sorry because I would think a lot of people over 40 would actually now 
be perfectly happy to go and get some help. So I think an awful lot of us have gone and got help. Mm -hmm. An awful lot of us are open to it, open to, to listening to, um, to people and to things that are going on. Open to hearing about mental health and mental wellness. And I spoke to you last night about my dad was always very open to mental health and mental wellness and he was always open to talking and listening. And I, I, I am very much open to talking and to listening. Yeah. And I think it's very important. Uh, I think the mind is fabulous. I think feed your mind, read, listen to music, go for a walk. We went for a beautiful walk today and I turned to a woman in the park. Beautiful looking woman today. I said to her, absolutely beautiful. And she said, oh my God, she said, I came into the park today, she said, to Deer Park, to look at the daffodils and the crocuses and then I meet you. Oh, my gorgeous. Well, on that note, with the face still smiling, my beautiful mother, like I said, a friend, a daughter, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a, a sister. And a sister, sorry. And a superb woman. Thank you, Mum. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Jessica.